You guys looking good today. All right, sounding good. Man, isn't it just great just to come together again, just to worship God? It just uh, feels like I just did this with you guys last night. I mean, (laughs) now let me tell you, uh, last night was just a really special night, and I I just believe that God's just going to continue doing what He's already begun. Um, In this Heartwork series, I just have, uh, it it was not, just to be completely honest with you, it was not... uh, didn't intend on being the way that it ended up turning out so far as the Heartwork series. The original intention, I thought I was going to be teaching on something completely different, but as I would pray and study, the Lord just kept bringing these things to my attention that we needed to just talk about and share. And man, we've talked about trust and we've talked about humility. And this week we're going to talk about progress. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write that word down, progress. And I remember when I lived in the town... I lived in before we moved up here, you know, the place without snow. Uh, <laughs> you guys have fun uh, on Wednesday going out there and, and shoveling snow and making sure that your snowblowers still work and uh, mine works until it gets slushy and then all of a sudden it starts clogging up that little chute, you know, and I was like, what am I supposed to do with this, you know? And I guess that's why they make shovels too, right? So I uh, figured all of that out. Um, if you haven't had a chance to be blessed by the video that I put on my Facebook page, go and see that. There's a snow removal technique on there that will really bless you. That's right. That's right. So <laughs> a snow removal technique on there that you might, w- you might find come in handy. We call it the redneck snow removal uh, technique. So we don't just do the work. We think, how could this be actually easier and somewhat fun and dangerous all at the same time? And we mix all those things together and we go out there and then we think, yes, then that's how we can remove snow. But no, we're, um, when we lived in, in Camden, Arkansas, which is where we lived before we moved here to Wisconsin, uh, there were these signs that the city put up everywhere. And these signs were, it was like a little silhouette of a face that had an open mouth on it, and it had these lines coming out of the mouth like the mouth was saying something. And these signs said, don't trash Camden. Now, these weren't signs talking about, you know, pick up after yourself. These were signs that were saying, don't trash talk Camden. That was the point of these signs, because there were a lot of people that were trash talking their town, because you see, about 13 or 14 years ago, this town had uh, a paper mill. And this paper mill employed most everybody in the town. I mean, all the kids at work, when they, you ask, hey, what did your daddy do for a living? The kid would respond, he works at the paper mill. What's your daddy do? He works at the paper mill, too. Well, this thing shut down. Thousands of people lost their jobs. People who were, uh, you know, leaders of divisions of the corporation, people who were leaders in the factory, and people that were making, you know, six-figured incomes, people that were doing very well were waiting in line to see if they could get a job working at Walmart. People who were used to making a whole lot of money were trying to get jobs working at a convenience store because they they had to do something, and they weren't going to be making the money that they had made before because now this place shut down not only did it do that it's kind of like the enron deal you guys remember enron you guys remember all that how a lot of people lost their retirement and their savings this same thing happened to these people in this town people just they 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 lost everything i mean it it hurt a lot of people but the thing that we kind of would laugh when we'd see these signs you know don't trash talk camden but in a sense these people kind of have a reason to trash talk you know because they're going, oh, this, the economy's terrible. Oh, it's just terrible how we've all lost our jobs. And some people got stuck in that moment of losing their jobs. And let me tell you, they never moved beyond it. I know people that turn to alcoholism. 
that ended up being just raving alcoholics because they were so depressed and that's what they turned to as their answer, as their solution. There were people that I know that started going to the racetrack in Hot Springs and would try to, you know, gamble their way out of their debt or out of their uh, frustration of not making the money that they used to make and had the security they used to have, and they lost everything. There were people that did all kinds of crazy things and that got stuck in this mentality that blamed this one event on why they are where they are today. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of people that are still angry and bitter in their hearts and have not moved forward. They have not made any progress in their life because they've been stuck in this one single event. Doesn't that happen to us a lot? There'll be this one single event that may happen that causes us to get stuck. It will immobilize us. And no matter what it may be, it could be a tragedy. It could be something that we had nothing to do with, like this job situation. It could be something that happens in a relationship. It could be something that happens in a church. It could be something that happens with our children or our finances. Whatever it may be, this one thing happens and all of a sudden we get frozen in time and we never move past that. And this area always becomes a roadblock. It always becomes a stumbling block and we never make progress. We never grow. As a matter of fact, sometimes not only do we get frozen, but we'll actually begin to move backwards because the pain, the hurt, the anger, the frustration, all of those things cause us to look for some sense of peace, to make some sense out of life. And so because of that, we're busy trying to find something to plug the hole in our heart. And it actually causes us to go backwards and get wrapped up in addictions and all kinds of things that we never intended on ever being involved in in our lives. And we get stuck. But every time negative things happen in our lives... It's another roadblock to progress or a poor decision or an unexpected tragedy that if we allow it can keep us, can hinder us from moving forward. Now write this down. Heart work is hard work because the enemy does not like progress. You must understand that there is an enemy that is arrayed against you that does not like you and definitely does not want you making progress in your life. His desire is for you to be stuck, for you to be immobilized because he does not like progress. He wants you to think that this is the end. This is it for you. It's over. You're never going to get over this. You're never going to move past this. You're never going to find forgiveness or healing. You're never going to learn to trust again. This is always going to be that reminder that's going to be right in front of your face of what you can't do and what you'll never do, what you'll never be, and how far in life you can go. The enemy hates progress. He hates the fact that you and I are called and destined for greatness and that God wants to do great things in us, for us, and through us. Amen, somebody? He doesn't like that. And so because of that, he wants to try to keep us stuck and frozen in that time or in that moment. And that hard work is hard work. That's one of the reasons that makes it hard is because there is an enemy that's against us. When we have someone that's actually against our progress in life as people who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, and he is actually after us and against us, that makes it a little bit more difficult. It makes it a little bit harder. And so hard work is hard work because the easy road is always the road that requires me to just sit back and just think, oh, well, just que sera, sera, just whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and I can't do anything about it. No, poor old me, and I get down in the mulligroves, and I get down, and I feel like there is no hope for me. 
You see, the reality of being a follower of Christ is that there is an enemy who is against our progress. But the reality of Christ in us lets us know that victory today is ours over that enemy. Amen? You see, John 10 and 10 says, this is reality. This is for real. There is a thief that comes. There is an enemy that is after you. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal. He comes to kill and he comes to destroy. That's real. But there's also another reality because that's not where the verse ends. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have life in abundance or have life more abundantly. That's also the reality of those who follow Christ. Is that you and I can have life and life in abundance. In other words, he wants us to make progress. He wants us to grow beyond where we're at. He wants us to continually move forward and not be frozen and not get stuck in the junk of yesterday. The part that's difficult, though, for us is what we allow during these times, what we allow to influence our hearts, what we allow to influence us, what we focus on. What we give our attention to, what we give our heart to. Because it's easy to give your heart and give your attention to negative things when they're happening in your life. Hello, somebody. Because they're screaming in your face. Hello, I'm here. Ding dong. You open up the door. Oh, there's misery. Why don't you come in? I heard you love company. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're miserable, you're frustrated, you're angry. And now all of this junk you're dealing with because it's got your attention. Next thing you know, you're talking to people on the phone about it. Next thing you know, you're, you're, you're making emails and text messages about it. And all this drama is stirred up and is going on and it's feeding that. And you're allowing all this to influence your heart. And because it influences your heart, it can freeze you. It can get you stuck in this moment or it can actually cause you to move backwards in life. And it can actually cause even more pain, even more frustration, even more heartache, even more bitterness, even more unforgiveness because we're not making progress. We're not moving forward. We're actually moving backwards because we've allowed this junk to influence our life. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, is this thing moving me forward? Is it moving me backwards or is it keeping me stuck? I want you to write that down because I want you to remember this question when it comes to stuff that's trying to influence your life and trying to impact your life or that's trying to speak in your life. Is this conversation, is this relationship, is this friendship, is this thing moving me forward? Is it moving me backwards or is it keeping me stuck? Because how many of you know that God wants us to move forward? He wants us to move forward. He doesn't want us to get stuck. He doesn't want us to move backwards. So we need to analyze and ask ourselves the question, is this actually moving me forward? Is it moving me backwards? Or is it keeping me stuck? I want to show you something here in the scripture. In the book of John, in the 16th chapter, if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn over there with me because I want you to see this. John 16 And verse 13, Jesus is talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit that's going to come once he ascends into heaven. And he said, it's actually better for you that I go away so the Comforter can come, the Holy Spirit. He's going to do all these things. And he kind of gives a job description of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is going to do in the earth. John 16 and verse 13 says this. says, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. 
says, when he, the spirit of truth, I want you to remember that. He's the spirit of truth has come. He's going to guide you and lead you into all truth. In other words, what he's going to do is he's actually going to influence you. He's actually going to lead you and take you somewhere because that's what leadership is. It's influence. Leadership is influence. And so if he's going to lead me, if he's going to guide me, he's going to influence my life into a place where I begin to understand and accept what is real, what is true. And so the Holy Spirit is going to lead me. He's the spirit of truth. He's going to guide me into all truth. Now, here's the thing about the spirit of truth that you and I need to understand. We can trust him. We can trust God. We can trust the Holy Spirit. We can trust his leading and his truth. Because like any leader or any influence we allow in our lives, we're following. That means we're behind and the leader is ahead. If I'm leading you and you're holding my hand, guess what? Where you're walking, I've already walked there before. Right? If you're following me and I'm guiding you by the hand, I know that where you're about to step is going to be safe and is going to be where you need to go. Because guess what? I just stepped there myself. You know you can trust God and you know you can trust his leading and you can trust his truth and his word because where he's taking you, folks, he has already been there. Where he's leading you, it may not make sense to you at the time. It may be something that may be even scary for you to step out in and to trust. Maybe your trust has been violated by someone and because of that trust, you take that into your view of God and you think, oh, I can't trust God. I can't see God. How do I know if he's even there? How do I know if he really cares? And how do I know that I can truly follow him and trust him? Folks, you can trust him because he's already been where you're going. And he's prepared the path. Matter of fact, the Bible says that the footsteps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. They're ordered. He's already prepared the path for you. All you have to do is trust him, trust his word, trust his truth. So the Holy Spirit is going to lead and guide us into all truth. He's going to influence our lives to be able to understand and receive and accept and step out in faith and trust the truth. Now, what does that mean? I want you to get this this morning. The Holy Spirit leads us to truth. Truth is Jesus. Look at somebody and say, the truth is Jesus. Oh, like five people believe that. Come on, look at somebody and say, the truth is Jesus. What did Jesus say about himself? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He said, no man can come to the Father except by me. He said, I am the truth. You want truth? Here I am, baby. Look at me. I'm truth. I am truth wrapped up 100%. It don't get no more true than this. And that's what Jesus was. That's who he still is. And the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us to the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, we need to understand something about Jesus Christ. I want you to look here at John chapter 1 and verse 17. John 1 and 17 says this, For the law was given through Moses... But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
Truth is a person and his name is Jesus. Grace is a person and his name is Jesus. Are you hearing me this morning? Are you with me? Are you okay? Grace and truth are Jesus Christ embodied. When the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us into all truth, when we trust him, when we allow him to influence our lives instead of us getting stuck, instead of us trying to move forward in our own ability, instead of us trying to figure everything out ourselves, instead of us trying to work to be good enough or for us trying to work to find some type of favor with God by being a good person, we understand that the Holy Spirit is drawing us and influencing us and leading us and guiding us into all truth. He's leading us and guiding us into grace. He's leading and guiding us into truth. He's leading and guiding us to Jesus. And I want you to get this this morning, that he's leading and guiding us to Jesus because God knows that it is the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance, to true life change, to true progress. He knows that it is his kindness that leads us to true transformation. And that's really what repentance is all about. It's not just saying, oh God, I'm sorry because I feel bad that I did this or said this or didn't do this or didn't say this. It's not just feeling sorry. It's actually transformation. It's change. It's a turning. It's a turning point. It's a milestone. It's a time that I actually shift and make a decision. You know what? I'm not going to get stuck in this junk anymore. You know what? I'm not going to allow this to dictate and rule my life anymore. I'm not going to allow this anymore to keep me stuck or moving backwards. I'm ready for a life change. I'm ready for something to turn. I'm ready for something to shift. It is the kindness of the Lord. It is the goodness of God. It is His grace and His mercy and His truth that leads us to true life change. And it's the Holy Spirit that if we allow Him to influence our lives, we allow Him to lead us and guide us, into all truth then we can once then become recipients of that truth and understanding this grace and truth and mercy and it causes us to change it causes us to change now let me tell you something i want to be real honest with you i'm all for teaching truth and even truth when it's not easy to hear and it's not easy to receive I'm not one to water down the message of the word or message of the truth because I read it and I believe it like what it says and I understand the gospel and I understand the word of God. But I want you to understand that when I was a younger minister, I've been preaching since I was 15 years old. I've been preaching since I was 15 years old. I was actually in the jails preaching at 15 years old. Not in the jail. I was, I was visiting at 15 years old because I was in a band and the band I was in, I played the bass guitar for, and everybody else was older than I was. And so we would go into the jail, and we would play some music, and then one of us would preach. And well, I started preaching in the jail at 15 years old. And then my pastor started letting me preach at our church every now and then when he was uh, either away or on a Sunday night or something like that. And uh, so I've been preaching since I was 15 years old. And the way that I was raised and the way that I was taught and the types of teaching and things that I saw modeled before me, when I would try to teach, I would try to actually change people when I would teach and make them do what I wanted them to do. <laughs> and I found out that I can't make people do what I want them to do. I found out that I can't use the Word of God to make people do what I want to do. And, and a lot of pastors, a lot of good-intended pastors... Good intentions are trying to make their people do what they want them to do because they care about them and they don't want to see them fail, they don't want to see them fall, and they don't want to see them be destroyed. But listen, folks, I love you, 
But I cannot make you do what I want you to do. God can't make you do what he wants you to do. It is not me teaching you what I want you to do just because I know that it's good for you. It's actually the goodness and the kindness of the Lord as you're influenced and led by the Holy Spirit that leads you to life change because I can't change you. If you come here thinking the pastor can change me, oh, you're wrong. I'm sorry, I'm not God. Hello. Matter of fact, I remember one time when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma, I had one of my board members that was in a room uh, that was, uh, had all the parents of the teenagers, and he happened to be a parent of one of the teenagers. And I was asking all of the parents, you know, just their ideas. What, do you, what, what would you like to see in the youth ministry? What are some things that, you know, that you guys would, uh, uh, would like to hear me teach on or minister on, all these things? And after that was over, this board member came up to me, and he was fiery mad. I mean mad. He came up to me, he said, if you're asking us what you should be teaching on, why are we paying you? I was sitting there, whoa, <laughs> I was just trying to get some feedback and some ideas about what you guys are. And he looked at me and he told me, he said, my son is dealing with this, this, and this, and this, and he's still struggling with it. I'm wondering, what exactly are you teaching and why hasn't he changed? Oh, well, I'm sorry. I, I, I forgot that when he was there in the delivery room that I held him and named him and that I took him for my own. <laughs> I forgot about that. I, I missed that when I would have been eight years old. Um, <laughs> I missed that part that I wasn't the parent. You see, a lot of times we miss that because we think, oh, the youth pastor or the pastor or somebody is supposed to change us. Folks, listen, we have to take some responsibility with our relationship with God. Hello. We have to take responsibility about what influences we allow in our lives. Are the things that I'm allowing to influence my life, are they moving me forward or are they moving me backwards or are they keeping me stuck? You see, if I allow the Holy Spirit to influence my life, then I know that he's going to lead me to grace and truth because that's what he does. He's going to lead me and guide me to all truth. He's going to lead me and guide me to Jesus. And the more I begin to understand Jesus, I begin to understand grace and truth. And then grace and truth influences my life and changes my life. True life change, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Are you hearing me this morning? Are you getting this? We have to allow him to do the heart work in our life to help us move, pro make progress in our lives. And allowing him to do the heart work simply means that we allow him to influence our lives and lead us and guide us into all truth. You see, if I'm not allowing the Holy Spirit to influence my life and do the heart work that needs to be done, then here's what I need to do. I need to change what influences I allow in my life. Hello, somebody. I need, to, uh, I need to change the things that I'm allowing, hello, keyword, allow, things I'm allowing to influence my life because my progress is determined by my heart's position. My progress is determined by my heart's position, where I position my heart, what I allow to influence my life. If I keep looking at that sign that says, don't trash talk Camden, and every time I see it, I remember that event. Every time it stirs up those same old feelings, every time it stirs up that same old anger, every time it stirs up that same old junk, I need to quit allowing that one thing to influence my heart because it's obviously keeping me stuck somewhere I don't want to be. Hello. I need to find true forgiveness. I need to find true healing. I need to make true progress, and it's going to come through me changing what I allow to influence my life. 
And that's all determined by how, where I position my heart, what I allow to influence my life. Because if I continue to look at myself for answers and I never learn to trust God, I will get stuck in a rut and I will repeat the cycle of trying to be a good enough person for my life to change. I will repeat the cycle of trying to be presentable before God, before I can trust him or that I can be good enough. You see, the dog can only chase his tail for so long. He's going to get tired and he's going to quit. You can only chase your tail for so long trying to be good enough for life change or progress. Maybe God will deliver me from this if I do A, B, and C, and D. Maybe that God will do this if I do this. Maybe it's like some type of barter system I can work out with God. Hey, God, I'll do this and you do this, right? And we think that somehow progress with God is measured by how good of a person that we are. No, it's always measured by our heart's position. It's always measured by our heart's position. Are we trusting him? Are we experiencing that freedom that we desire and that God desires for us? Well, let me tell you, folks, Jesus has already bought and paid for it. It's just up for you and I. To, it, it's up to us to allow him to begin to influence our heart to where we actually get it and we believe it and we trust it and we can live it. Amen? And stop trying to be good enough to try to earn it. Well, maybe if I do this and this, maybe God will bless me with freedom where I don't have to think about this or worry about this. Maybe God will actually heal my heart if I do this and this. So I work trying to be presentable or good enough, and I'm just chasing my tail, and I get tired of doing it, and I just throw my hands up in the air and say, I can't do this. This is too hard. This isn't worth it. I'm just going to give up right here instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to influence us and lead us and guide us into all truth, understanding that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to life change, to repentance, to turning away from those things, to turning away from the things that would want to keep me stuck, turning away from those habits, turning away from those relationships, turning away from those things, that bitterness, that hurt, that pain in our heart. You see, we have to allow God to influence our lives, to do the heart work that needs to be done and that's determined by the position of my heart because my heart has to be positioned in humility. Amen? Amen. It's got to be positioned in humility. I've got to be humble. I've got to trust. Just like in the book of James chapter 4. You can turn over there with me if you'd like. James 4. And we're going to read verse 6. says this. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but he gives grace to who? The humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So therefore, resist the devil. After we submit to God, after we humble ourselves, after we trust, a lot of times we just want to say, well, brother, sister, let me tell you, the devil's just on your tail. You just need to resist the devil, and he's going to flee. Well, bless God. <laughs> you just need to resist that devil. No, you need to submit to God. <laughs> No, you need to humble yourself. You need to humble yourself and trust him and allow him to influence your life because then it's going to put you in the position that when you do see that temptation coming to try to dig up that old junk or dig up the old memory or dig up the way you felt about this person or that person or this situation or that person, you're going to be able to resist the devil and he's going to flee because you're humbled and you're submitted to God. You've changed who you allow to influence your heart. 
You've changed the position of your heart. That's all that's really changed is that I'm not going to give my heart over to those things, but I'm going to give my heart over to the influence of the Holy Spirit who is leading me to grace and truth, who is leading me to Jesus. And it's the kindness of the Lord that leads me to life change, to repentance. Amen? Amen. Amen. Not, you see, a lot of times our heart will be positioned in maybe like self-reliance where we're relying on ourselves where we're trusting in ourselves, or maybe in self-righteous judgment to make ourselves feel better. I'm not talking about anybody here. Sometimes we get this attitude of, oh, well, I have already got these things accomplished in my life, and let me tell you, Pastor, you know, I'm doing quite well, and we're able to number off all of the good things that we do and how good of a person we are. More importantly, we can name off the things we don't do and don't participate in. Therefore, it makes me a better Christian than you. That's not a humble heart position. That's a heart position of, self-righteousness. The Bible says something about our righteousness. It says that our own righteousness is as filthy rags. The only thing, people, that makes us righteous or right with God is Jesus. That's it. Not because you went to Sunday school growing up and you completed all of the necessary classes you need and you can tell the story of Noah and the Ark frontwards and backwards and David and Goliath. That doesn't make you right with God. We're going to take communion in a, lot, uh, in a little while. Communion does not make you right with God. What? <laughs> communion is a very holy thing, and it reminds us of the holy work of Christ, but it doesn't save us. You know that? Our works can't save us, no matter how good they are. Only thing that can save us is faith in the work of Christ. In fa- faith in the fact that Jesus' work was perfect. And then I can't earn it and I can't be good enough for it. Amen? Amen. I can't do anything to try to somehow exchange. There's nothing that's worthy that I have to offer to exchange to be able to get this. It's a gift. It's a gift. Grace and forgiveness, salvation, it's a gift. Not something we could earn by our own works. Otherwise, the Bible says we could boast about it and talk about, well, look at me, look at how I've earned grace. Look at how I've earned forgiveness. Look at how I've earned salvation. No, 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 no. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that draws us and leads us. If we'll open up our heart to Him, lead us and guide us and influence us to a place where we begin to understand grace and truth. And that grace and truth is who? It's Jesus. Grace and truth is Jesus Christ. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And I want to see your life dramatically changed. I want to see progress made. I want to see heart work done. I want to see healing. I want to see restoration. I want to see progress. I don't want to see you stuck. But you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to influence your heart and lead you and guide you into all truth, into all grace, into all mercy, into all forgiveness. Because don't you know it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance? Is this helping anybody this morning? It's helping me. I'm here today with a word from God to tell you to stop kicking rocks around and hanging your head and you need to pick yourself up and do something in the middle of your situation that is actually positioning your heart where it needs to be humbling yourself acting out the fact that you trust God God I trust you and I'm going to put myself in a position 
that declares, I trust you. Where I'm not going to depend on myself anymore. I'm not going to depend on my own self-righteousness because I know that my righteousness is as filthy rags. Where I'm not depending on the fact that I'm trying to be a good enough person, but I'm going to grow in grace by allowing the Holy Spirit to influence my heart, lead me and guide me into all truth. And I want you to remember this, that it is not over. It is not over. I, I want you to get this. A lot of time the enemy is trying to keep you stuck. He's trying to keep you going backwards. He's trying to keep you immobilized in fear of what will happen if you forgive, if you let go, if you let this situation uh, just completely uh, be forgiven or whatever the case may be. He's somehow making you think, oh, it's over for you. There's no hope for you. You're just going to have to deal with this the rest of your life. Every time you see that sign, don't trash talk Camden. You're going to be reminded of your failures. You're going to be reminded of your pain. You're going to be reminded of your wound over and over again. And it is never going to be healed. Let me tell you something this morning. It's not over. Amen? Amen. For those of you who may be struggling with your marriage, you may be struggling in relationships or financially, you may be struggling with your children, you may be struggling with jobs, Maybe you're in between jobs. Maybe you're searching. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're scared. Let me tell you, for you today, it isn't over. It's not over for you. It's not time to throw your hands up in the air and say, I can't trust God because it's too late for me. I've done messed up. I've done too much. It's over for me. No, folks, I'm telling you, it's not over. I believe that somebody here today is on the edge and they don't know exactly where to turn. You may have thought that it's over for you, but I want you to understand that God loves you so very much that he would give me this word this morning to tell you, just so you would know, that it's not over for you. It's not over for you. And I, I want to show you something here in the book of John before we close this morning. John chapter 8 and verse 1 says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him. He sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought him a woman who was caught in adultery, and they set her in his midst. Now imagine, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. It wasn't just hearsay. They caught her doing that. You know, actually in the act of adultery, which makes me wonder, how do you catch someone doing that? You just go around looking for someone? I, I don't know. Or maybe it was one of them. I don't know. But the Bible says they caught this woman in the very act of adultery. And so here's this woman who is, who is ashamed, who is at a place where she, she's afraid. She's broken. And there she is in front of all of these men and Jesus, who was caught in the very act of adultery. Verse 5, now Moses in the law commanded us, that such should be stoned. But Jesus, what do you say? See, all these religious leaders of the day who thought they were so self-righteous caught this woman in the act of adultery and said, this woman, by Moses' law, says she should be stoned. But Jesus, we're curious. You're so great. <laughs> what do you say? The Bible says this in verse 6. They said this, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't even hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one thrown a stone at you? Has no one condemned you? 
She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. This lady was in a position of being broken. She was in a position she had nowhere else to turn. She had to depend on mercy and grace because for her it was over. For her it was time to say, oh well, according to the law of Moses, it's time for me to die. I'm going to be stoned to death right here. It's it for me. I'm over. I'm done. And then Jesus comes and he says, those of you who don't have sin, he said, you can cast the first stone. Nobody could do it because everybody had sin in their life except one person that was standing there that day. Who was that one person that was standing there that had no sin in their lives? Jesus. Was Jesus absolutely perfect in every way with no spot or blemish, with no sin at all? He had to be or otherwise he couldn't be a good enough sacrifice for us to save us from our sins. The one man who had the ability, who had the qualifications to throw the stone at this lady. Because he said, you who have no sin, cast the first stone. Well, Jesus doesn't have sin. He could cast a stone. But what did he do? He chose grace instead. He said, woman, he said, then neither do I condemn you. The one who could have condemned her said, I'm not going to condemn you. He said, now that I've shown you grace, now that I've shown you mercy, he said, now stand up, he said, and look at me. He said, now I'm going to give you some truth. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. You want to talk about life change. What caused life change in that woman? Grace and truth. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to life change. She thought it was over. She thought she was at the end of her rope. She thought that it was over for her. Just like many of you may be in this place today. You may think, Pastor, it's over for me. It's over for my marriage. It's over for my friendships. It's over for my finances. It's over for my children. It's over for my relationship with God. You don't know how far I've gone. You don't know the tragedy I've experienced. You don't know the hurt. You don't know the pain that I've dealt with. You just don't know. You don't know the physical trauma I've been through. You don't know the mental anguish I've been through. You don't know the emotional pain that I've been through. You don't know the depression that I wrestle with. You don't know the anger that I deal with. You don't know how bad it was what they did or said to me. You don't know. Let me tell you something. If Jesus Christ himself could stand in front of a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, who could have by all right casted a stone and judged her, and he said, woman, he said, I don't condemn you. Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. He came to bring grace and truth. Amen? He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's the Holy Spirit influencing our lives, influencing our heart, that we allow Him to do the heart work in our lives that leads us and influences us and guides us to a place of grace and truth because it's the grace that says, I love you. You're forgiven. And it's the truth that changes us, that says go and sin no more. It's His grace that causes us to make that change in progress in our lives. But we have to position our hearts to receive His goodness and His truth. It isn't over for you because there is someone who bought and paid for your freedom when you didn't deserve it. When you couldn't earn it, when you weren't good enough for it, when you didn't deserve it. Even when you tried in your own strength but because of his great love for you he has set you free and it's time for us to rise up out of that prison and out of that misery and out of the junk that's tried to keep us stuck that's tried to keep us frozen and immobilized and it's time for us to move forward amen see you can trust the one who set you free you can trust him remember 
He's leading you and guiding you because he's, he's been there. He's already stepped one step ahead of you, ten steps ahead of you, a hundred steps ahead of you. He knows where we're going. He can lead you and guide you. You can trust him. I know this facility well enough because I've been in it enough as the pastor. And I love this church. And I love these people. And I love being in here enough that I know that if these lights were to go off, that I could safely lead you out of this building because I know where to go. I know exactly where to go. Even if the lights were off, I would be able to safely lead you. Why? Because I've been there before. You can trust me because I know this building. You can trust the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you into all truth. Maybe even if it's not somewhere, maybe you would be bumping around if you tried to go on your own. You would, you would be stumbling around if you tried to make it on your own. But if you allow Him to lead you and guide you, you can trust Him. He's been this way before. He knows where we're going. It's not over for you. There is still progress to be made. There is still healing that can be experienced. There is still restoration. There is still freedom. There is still things that He wants you to experience and not just hear about, not just talk about, not just pray for, not just ask for. But you have to position your heart in humility to influence your life to lead you into grace and truth. You can trust the one who set you free. Heart work is hard work, folks. We've said that over and over again. But it's worth it. The reason it's hard work is because it's not always easy to trust. But we can trust Him because God is extending His hand to you. And that hand is full of mercy and grace. It's full of truth and love. And He's saying, Son, Daughter, I want you to rest. I want you to take a breath. I want us to move forward together. Because the Bible said, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Amen? He wants us to make progress in our lives. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Maybe you're here in this place today and you say, Pastor Derek, I need to allow God to do heart work in my life. I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. I need to allow Him to change me by welcoming Him in my heart. It's not by something you work to do, not by something you try to be good enough or strive for. It's simply by accepting Him and receiving Him as your Lord and Savior. And you do that by faith. You do that by simply declaring your trust in Him, that you believe that His work was perfect in forgiving us of sin. Not something you need to do every week or every time you feel bad, every time you feel like you did something wrong, because His grace and mercy is bigger than that. His grace and mercy is bigger than that. He just wants you to trust Him. That's all He wants. And He's asking you to do that this morning. So if you're in this place, say, Pastor, I'm ready to put my trust in Jesus Christ. I want you to just lift up your hand and just let me know that you're here lifted high. Let me see your hands this morning. I see the hands all over this room. You can put them down as you lift them. I just want you to acknowledge your need for Christ. That's all I'm asking you to do. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to acknowledge your need for Christ this morning. If you lifted your hand, and even if you didn't, church, would you just help me pray this morning? And I want you to believe it. I don't want it to just be words. I don't want it to be, because it's not words that save you. It's not just these words. It's your faith. It's your trust that you now have hope in Jesus Christ. It's in our heart and with our mouth we make this confession. So let's just say this together. Say, Jesus, I welcome you into my heart. I trust you to save me and to make me right with God. I thank you that your work was perfect. And I trust that you have made me right with God. Thank you for saving me. 
for dying for me, for living in me, for giving me your grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you said that prayer, I sure want you to let me know this morning. Come find.